Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League, powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. All right, Till, to start off our playoff preview episode here at UFR, I just want to start off by actually taking a little bit of a different turn. I want to congratulate the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> on something before we get the show on the road. <laughs> they broke a couple records early on this week. Good records? Ah, the records. Okay. So there's two that I want to talk about. For the first time ever, a team who made the Stanley Cup Finals finish dead last in the following season... I mean, that's a pretty good one to break. That's, yeah, good start. And, I mean, for the first time ever, Montreal Canadiens managed to finish 32nd in the NHL. Wow. They're always setting records. So historic. Yeah, I just thought we had so much slander about Montreal early on in these first 10 episodes. I think it was time to pay them a little bit of respect. Yeah. Oh, always so much respect and great to see that they're, you know, continuing to be trailblazers. Beautiful. I'm so excited. All right, let's get into the playoff preview. Let's do it. All right, so what we want to do on this episode is, first and foremost, go through every playoff series, talk about who we think is going to win, break it down, yeah. and then me and Steph are going to play a little game where we're each going to take a pick for every series, and we're going to count who gets the most right picks, Yeah. and then we'll see how it comes up at the end of the first, first playoff series. Let's do it. Who are we starting with first? Let's start with... The one that might cause us the most pain. Mm-hmm. Let's just start with least Tampa. Let's get it out of the way. That way we can enjoy the rest of the episode with a little bit less stress. Okay, so when I think about the Toronto Maple Leafs versus the Tampa Bay Lightning, I start to think about whether the Leafs or Tampa Bay are better offensively, defensively, and in the goal crease. And I have some pretty unfortunate news for Leaf fans. I don't think we're better in any of the three areas. Any of them? No. When you think about the offense, would you take Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, or Matthews, Marner, and Tavares? Well, I mean, it's important, I think, to take playoff context into account. And those those three on Tampa have been monsters in the playoffs the past, of course, the past two years. But they've always sort of been able to get it done in the playoffs. Whereas those Leafs, those three guys in the Leafs that you named, you know, they've had their moments. Matthews was really good a couple years ago against Boston. Mitch was pretty good the first time we played Boston. But they've never all three done it together. And that's why they probably haven't had as much success as we've been hoping for yeah no i i agree i think overall when we include playoffs into the context i would take the top three on tampa bay moving on to defense it's a little bit tight but i don't know i like cernak mcdonough headman sergachev over brody riley geo muzzin for the same reason stanley cups are important i any of those guys that i just named on the toronto maple leafs haven't strung together 10 total playoff games in their career and then when we look at lastly goaltending you know one positive area for the Toronto Maple Leafs heading into the playoffs is that in the month of April Jack Campbell has a top 10 save percentage in the NHL which is great being informed for the playoffs but as we alluded to a few episodes ago Andre Vasilevsky might be the best playoff performer in the NHL without a question there's that crazy stat that went around last year not even really a stat it's just something that happened so every series clinching game that they won on their way to their cup last year got a shutout wow that's um, that's all you need to know to wow. know that he's going to be maybe the biggest thing that the Leafs need to, to figure out. I mean, luckily, we have the best goal scorer in the league. I, guess, I think we can say that confidently. Yep. Um, but it's only one. 
and we're going to need a bunch of guys to step up. The Leafs are going to need a bunch of guys to step up if they want to beat the Tampa Bay Lightning and Vasilevsky. So it's going to be tight with him and Ned. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Andre Vasilevsky has the opportunity to steal series for sure. He's done it yeah. in the past. He has a 49 and 29 record in 81 games with a goals against average of 2.24 and a save percentage of 9.24 in the playoffs in his career. Wow. And what seems to be crazy is that he, like fine wine, gets better with age. Last year, he had a 9.37 save percentage in the playoffs. When you have a goalie that performs that well, you can give up some secondary scoring because you know you can win games 2-1. Yeah, it seems like if Tampa if Tampa gets two goals, um, they're shooing to win the game, which is which is incredible to think about. So let's get to our first pick. Shoot. Objectively, not as a Leaf fan, yeah. who do you have winning this series with the Leafs at home? I, I hate to do this, but I I don't know how from an objective standpoint you can bet against Tampa, and I have I have Tampa going taking this one in seven. As as much as it pains me to do that, I I gotta try and be honest. Yeah, I agree with you. I got I got Tampa in six. Okay. Well, that was a bit of a, a light preview on our part, but we did that on purpose because we're actually really, really excited to have our first formal interview on the podcast. We sat down with Anthony Petrelli um, earlier today to discuss this series, and we're really, really excited to get his take, and we're really excited um, to take this podcast actually to the next level, starting mm-hmm. to interview some credible people who have a lot of insight. So we're really, really excited. We're going to go to that interview now, and we'll continue with the rest of our projections later. So here's us with Anthony. We are so happy to welcome Anthony Petrelli to the show to help us preview the Leafs' first-round matchup against the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs, the Tampa Bay Lightning. And for those few of our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with Anthony, he is a contributor at the Maple Leafs Hot Stove, where he writes the Leafs notebook each week and at Yahoo Sports Canada with his weekly column called 10 Insights and Observations. So it's safe to say that we're in good hands with this preview. And Anthony, we're so excited to have you on today. Thanks so much again for taking the time to join us um, as we head into the playoffs. Thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to this. Okay, so let's just start with kind of how you're feeling initially. So when I say Leafs versus Tampa, what what are your initial feelings? Like, what's your gut feeling about that? Yeah, I've been... I've been starting to compile, you know, all the info and and look at all the the different angles of how the series could go, how it could play out, how home ice factor might factor into it, if at all. Um, You know, there was a part of me today that was kind of talking myself into uh, whoever gets to three wins first is going to end up winning the series because I can't like if the Leafs go into Tampa in game six and they're down three, two, I think Tampa closes it at home. But if the Leafs go up three, two and after game five in Toronto and then probably lose to Tampa in in Tampa and then come back to Toronto, I would favor the Leafs. So in many of these series, the Leafs haven't really had home ice, right? Like when they've played and I know that they lost, in against Washington in Toronto in game six, but that was the Leafs first year in the playoffs. And yeah. as much as I liked Freddie, he was legitimately bad in that series. And then, you know, in Col- against Columbus, there was no home ice against Montreal. There was no, like these weren't real home ice advantages. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be a factor. I think there's obviously a lot of pressure on them, but they're almost, I'm, I'm curious 
if they're going to be considered the underdog in this series, because I think that actually benefits them if they are. Yeah, I kind of think they have to be, even though they're seated higher, it's it's Tampa. I don't know how they go into any series and they're not the favorites, especially against a Toronto team where, let's face it, they've been a little bit underwhelming in the playoffs, unfortunately. <laughs> so I do think you're right, though. I think it kind of plays into their hands. If they're not favored, maybe it takes some of that that pressure off. Yeah, we'll there's there's pressure on them no matter what, right? It, you know, the yeah. fans here don't care either way, but oh. it maybe there's a little bit that they can kind of drum up amongst themselves to say, you know, people like genuinely don't believe in us and kind of have that mentality. Whereas yeah. when they played the Habs and, and the Blue Jackets, it was like, all right, they should beat these guys. And we're our, you know, people are already thinking about the second round half the way. Exactly. And any little chip on their shoulder will, will go such a long way. But since, since we're talking about initial feelings, if you're comfortable, do you mind giving us, I know you said first to three wins, but right now, do you have a prediction in mind about where we stand? I've I've gone back and forth on this, so I definitely reserve the right to change my mind up until Absolutely. Monday, yeah, like sure. seven o'clock, whenever they play them. Um, but so far, so basically, my thought process is, I a lot of people even just conversations I'll have around hockey arenas with friends, whatever the case is. Yeah. I mean, people are down on the Leafs let's say, in terms of like being able to pull through and win a series. And the thing I've always come back to is you just, you can't convince me that Matthews and, and Marner don't go nuts at one point. Like they don't just have a ser- like a playoff run where they both go like nuclear, basically the way they have all season. Like you can't tell me that they're just going to lose in the first round for like the rest of time. Like at some yeah. point, they're going to go crazy, right? Like yeah. they're, they're just, they're going to go nuts and they're going to have like a 10 or 12 point series and they're going to push through. On the yeah. other hand, Andre Vasilevsky is terrifying. If you're the Leafs, like the, the gap between him and Campbell is potentially massive. So as much as I love Matthews and Marner, I'm sitting there going, this goaltender is legitimately terrifying and could be just the equalizer among all and it's not like Tampa is short on talent it's not like you're sitting there saying you just got to beat Vasilevsky it's like you have to get through all these really good players first maybe the best defenseman in the league some of the best playoff players the forwards in the league yeah and then you have to beat Vasilevsky like it's a tall task so on that side I want to say Tampa but then like I said at the beginning part of me is sitting there going the Leafs got to break through eventually so at this point I'm kind of leaning Toronto just for uh, a few reasons I I think Matthews and and Marner in particular have to break out at some point I like the Leafs defense depth I'm a little weary of um, maybe the top quality of their defensemen like Morgan Mm -hmm. Riley's good but he's not obviously he's in the second tier of defensemen. I would say there's like a top tier and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with it, but like being that second tier, I mean, the guys in the top are like Kale McCarr, Victor Hedman, like Roman Yossi is going insane this year. And then he's probably in the next tier, but that's still a gap. And then he's paired with like Ilya Labushkin who, you know, I like him, but he's not, he can't really control the puck or anything, but I like their depth of, of seven, eight options on defense I think they have just enough depth scoring. I would love if Andre Kasha could come back and play. I think Absolutely. he would be a difference breaker. So 
long-winded way of saying I'm leaning leaf so far. I observe the right to change it, but it's it's really, really tight. Yeah. Well, that that's the answer that we really wanted to hear as Leaf fans. <laughs> we're, ha we're happy to we're happy to hear that you're hopping on the Leafs bandwagon. One thing that really caught my mind that you said I agree with as well is that really big gap potentially in goaltending between the Leafs and, and and the Lightning. But a little bit of a positive note in the month of April with a minimum of five stars, Jack Campbell has a top 10 save percentage in the league, which is very promising considering the downfall that he had at the beginning of the year. We know that Andre Vasilevsky is battle tested with like a 930 save percentage in his career in the playoffs. So for me, the biggest key to the Leafs success, what has to go right is their goaltending. I'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say about this. If you had one key to the Leafs success, something that needs to go right for them to win the series, what is that in your mind? Yeah. So goaltending aside and, and so I'll like preface it with that. Cause I mean, goaltending, it always comes back to goaltending at the end of the day, we've seen it just way too many times in the playoffs. Um, but for the Leafs, I'm gonna I'm going to say, I mean, I think this might be a cop-out answer and I can give a different one if you'd like, but it's, it's health. Like, I don't know what's going on with Matthews. Obviously he came back and put the two in and he looks pretty dangerous, but he's got to stay healthy. Ideally bonding is able to return. Ideally Muzzin can actually play a, like a full playoff series for once because he's been really good in the playoffs pretty much his entire career. And he's missed critical game after critical game for the Leafs in the playoffs um, I mentioned Kasha before, like, God forbid he could ever actually just like come back in the lineup and play, but you know, that's the risk when you sign a guy like that, that's, you know, he's a really good player. I don't think anyone in the league knew that, like thought that he was bad, but he can't stay healthy. That's why the Leafs got him at the price that they did not because the league was asleep on the player. So I think if the Leafs stay healthy, they have a really good chance. I think if they're, you know, obviously John Tavares got hurt last year in the playoffs too. I once I think the domino effect of them getting injured uh, is far greater than, than Tampa's um, just sadly, like, you know, you look at if one of the top two centers goes down for the Leafs, it's like Alex Kerfoot is your second line center. If, you know, Braden point goes down for Tampa, it's Anthony Sorelli. Like that, like that is a massive gap, you know, Tampa has obviously they have Victor Hedman, but then they also have Ryan McDonough, who I think is still criminally underrated. They have Mikhail Sergachev, who is really good. You know, we, we already saw like with Muzzin, like the domino effect, and and they kind of mitigated that by acquiring Giordano. But I think Tampa has a little bit more versatility and depth in the if someone were to go down department. So the Leafs need to stay healthy, which is a luck, a bit of a luck thing, but. It is what it is. Yeah, that's that's definitely going to be a huge factor, especially like you talked about in Muzzin, even Tavares last year. Those are both devastating injuries in back-to-back in -back series. So let's just hope that they can stay healthy. But you talked about Tampa's depth. Is So beyond their back-to-back -back champion status, which is scary in and of itself, is it their depth? Or is there another thing about Tampa that really scares you as a Leafs fan going into this series that, you think, oh boy, like th that could really hurt us. The thing that's scary for me about Tampa, and I think it's the thing that the, the Leafs are going to, they've fallen short on being able to prove so far in the playoffs and will eventually need to if they want to get to where they want to go, is I look at Tampa and they could beat you any number of ways. That's, that's the terrifying thing. Like when you play Florida, 
Florida is foot to the foot to the floor offense. Like that's it. Like that's their game. Like I, Bobrovsky is not scary to me. Their defense is, I think it's fine, but like, it's nothing crazy. They're scoring. They're like first to six or whatever wins and they can do it. But you watch Tampa. It's like they can run and gun you. They are physical and dirty when they need to be right. Like we don't talk about, um, like fans don't generally talk about how, and I say this as a compliment, like it's not a knock on the guy. Like Nikita Kucherov is dirty. Like he, oh, yeah. like he has done a number of things throughout his career to solidify that status. And I mean that complimentary, like he has no problem like doing that kind of stuff. The Leafs have a lot of guys who do have a problem like really mixing it. And I'm not saying they need to be dirty to like get where they need to go, but that being it like that, physicality and being able to adjust to those type of games the Leafs have kind of shrunk at some of those moments whereas Tampa kind of elevates their game so they can do that they can play defense right like they they beat the Islanders one nothing to go to the cup final I believe right in game seven they obviously have a stud goalie like they can win literally anyway and I'm not sure we can say that about the Leafs and they're going to have to get there, right? Like, I think that's part of what people have talked about over the years. It's like, well, like, are they physical enough? Are they good enough defensively? And like, no one's questioning their skill level. It's like, can you win these other ways? Like, you can't go through four playoff rounds winning one way. Yeah, that, that's that's very true. We we definitely expect and we know that the, the big boys in this series are going to come to play the Kucherovs and Matthews and Marners, those guys that we know are cemented as top 15 players in the league. But here's a question that I'm really interested in hearing your answer to. Aside from the big boys, you know, like those Kucherovs and Stamkoses from either side, is there a depth player that you can name on either side that you think will have the biggest impact on this series? Yeah, so for the Leafs, I would I would split it between, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but I would split it between Mikheyev and Engvall because, I mean, Mikheyev has zero points in 12 playoff games. And... Keith was healthy scratching. Um, he's healthy scratched Engvall in the playoffs both years, right? Like they're and they've, but they both had great seasons this year. Like they've been critical to the Leafs' success. They're not like bus riders on this thing. Like they're not just there for the joyride. They're they're players. Like they matter to the Leafs, and like they need to bring it in the playoffs. And I understand that Mikheyev had the wrist injury and then came back and. Um, I understand why he maybe has not produced so far in the playoffs, but he still needs to prove that he can produce in the playoffs, regardless of the circumstance of the past. He still is an unknown for this one. Engvall, largely the same way. Like they're both of them, just their speed and their size and their skating ability is such a difference maker, but they're both of them are not the most poised guys with the puck. And I do think you need a level of poise in the playoffs to, really be a player so on that end of thing for the Leafs to me it's you can't just look at Matthews and Marner and say do everything right like they and that's probably been my biggest concern with the way that they've been run over the past few years in the playoffs it's like you look and like both those guys are playing 24 25 minutes a night it's way too much they have no gas left in the tank towards the end of games or in overtime or at the end of series as they grind along like it's not a winning recipe over four rounds in the playoffs. So the Leafs need some depth. And to me, like those depth guys are primarily 
McKay out of an egg ball. Like, I don't think Camp can score much, if at all. I like him a lot, but he's not a scorer. It's just that's the reality. I, Kyle Clifford, I'm not going to ask to score. I call him Blackwell. Anything he does is gravy. I like Spezza. He's been good in the playoffs, but like, you know, McKay and Engvall, McKay in particular is probably going to play what 15, 16 a night, and Spezza is going to be lucky to hit 10. So those guys are the most important on that side of things for me. And on Tampa, um, the guy that I would really hone in on is, and they have a number of guys at forward, but the guy who's been really sticking out to me as I've been looking into it is Eric Cernak. So he's a big right-handed D-man. They trust him in tough defensive matchups. Um, he was the guy that, that Matthews like toe-dragged and sniped so hard on Vasilevsky about a month ago. I don't know if you remember that goal. It happened. Beautiful. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, what just happened? So that's Cernak, but he's a really good player and he just got got by a superstar in a random moment of time. But they're going to... They're going to trust him with a lot. We talked about Hedman, like their three lefties are all awesome. Uh, but the right side obviously matters as well. He is a difficult, difficult player to play against. Uh, I really like his game. I, I think he's been understated in Tampa's cup runs. I was looking at it today. I think he averaged like just under 20 minutes uh, last year in the playoffs, like 1945 or something like that. And the year before he was like, 20 like like almost 20 and a half minutes so he's like a 20 minute like eater for them that just plays defense and is tough to go against and the other guy I would just throw throw out there because I think he's generally been good against the Leafs so I know I'm going over your one person limit but um is Alex Kalorn I just think he's a good player like he's just he's always been a problem for the Leafs I like he's physical like he's the kind of guy that you've looked at for years and said like I wish the Leafs had this kind of guy to be like a secondary scorer. And like Mikheyev is kind of reaching that this year. So ironically, it's kind of why I picked him for the, the Leafs side. I just, I look at Tampa and say like, it's not enough to just shut down the top guys. Like, like you can't, like Kalorin's the kind of guy that could rip off like a six goal series. And that's a problem if he does. Yeah, those are all definitely really good picks. Something in particular that um that sparked my mind what you said is um Engvall it was really cool to see Engvall have a resurgence this year you know he went from that player who we thought was on a really good signing to being scratched not being able to get into the lineup and then now becoming somewhat of a mainstay on that third line especially on that second line penalty kill doing some really good offensive things on that penalty kill but you know we're going to end it off here with the question that I hate to ask but you know it's going to be asked what happens here if God forbid the Leafs lose this series. Where does the franchise go from here? And the reason why I ask this is because on our podcast, we have a really cool segment where we have fans ask questions and, and we talk about them on the pod. And this one came up a lot. They said, if the Leafs lose this series, do we make a huge deal at the, in the off season? Do we clear the front office? And to be honest with you, I don't know the answer to this question. And I'd be really interested in hearing where you think we go from here. Yeah. So it's interesting. Cause if they do lose, I think people are going to call for, the GM in the coach's head. Um, I, I mean, I don't think that that's just a fact. Like people are going to do it. People were doing it when they lost to the Habs. And I think we would often, I think we would just see like six years in a row. We get that Tampa was good, but you also lost to the Habs in Columbus and we just don't feel sorry for you. And it is what it is. I actually don't think that 
and it's just my opinion. So I'm not saying this is what I would do, but I think, I don't think that they would fire Dubas and Keith. I think they would say that they had a franchise record in points and they showed progress in the regular season and blah, blah, blah. That's my guess. But I do think that there would be a major trade. I think there would be a shakeup. I think the question at hand would then be, and actually I should take this back a second. Unless, unless Dubas was like a hundred percent, like this is the group that I would walk back and this is my plan and you can't trade me. Cause we all know his, uh, we can, and we will sign all these guys and keep them. So if he's, if he's gonna, if he's gonna die on that Hill, I think he would be gone. But I think if he would sit there and say, this is a really good regular season team, but maybe, and this is all premature, of course, because they could obviously just come back. They, they, they could just go far this year in the playoffs for once and make all of our lives a little bit easier and more enjoyable because who wouldn't want that? But uh, I think they could sit there and say, this is a really good regular season team, but it's maybe not uh, deep enough across the board. I would, I would personally sit there and say, like, you need to get a goalie. That would be my line of thinking. If they lose in the first round, I'm going to sit there and say, like, you need to actually pay a goalie. And I don't see how you can do it when you're allotting the money the way that you are. The dollars and cents don't make sense or add up. So I, that's why I, I just think it would be logical for them to, to move that around and say, like, we have to find a guy in that. Like, we have to find a stud. We have to find a guy that can steal us games. And maybe that's Campbell. I don't know, but like they've gotten lucky with him to this point, really. Like, I don't think, I don't think when they traded for him that they thought this guy is going to be our starter. If anyone is lying, if they say otherwise, I don't think that was, they needed to get back up at that point because of the whole waving McElhaney to keep Garrett Sparks, which was a disaster. Right. So I think that's how I'd look at it. I don't even know if it would be a D-man because I like their defense. They've got some good young defenders Mm -hmm. that are coming up as well. Obviously, Morgan Riley's locked in. You know, I'm hopeful that Giordano will take a sweetheart deal to stay. I'm just going to look and say, like, they they need a goalie. They need a guy (laughs) who can steal them games. And so to get really quickly before we fully wrap up, I'm I'm really intrigued. What do you guys think would happen? Well, what I think, I think what will happen is something along the same lines. And I think that's the right call just because this team is, I don't know, in my opinion, they've been assembled really well. It's a really good team. And if they lose this series, it's not, it's not Montreal part two, it's Tampa Bay Lightning, the best team in the league for the past two years. So I'll be frustrated 100%, but then come two, three weeks down the road, I'll probably have the, like, they'll, you know, be able to look back and be like, mm, okay, maybe I was overreacting in the moment I, I don't know I think maybe they keep the the group together for the most part and maybe they do have to make a trade because I don't think you can come with the exact same group but I do think that at least the guys at the top I think they've done a good enough job to keep their jobs I, maybe my opinion will change if they if they lose in terrible fashion but I think they did as good of a job surrounding the core given the available money and without moving exactly. anyone yeah. that they possibly could have so at, at some point it's on the core and I think they're also going to sit there and say, Nylander and Tavares have not been good together. And I know that they were both ultimately productive. I understand what their point totals were this year, but like, they're not, they're not giving the Leafs a second line to that's, a, you know, that their talent yeah. level suggests that they should. So now it's like, 
now we got to put one on the third line and then we got to put one yeah. on the second line. And I think they would look at all that and say like, is this the best use of our money? That's true. And what do you think? I think what they should do is what you said, but what I think will happen is if, if the Leafs go, if the Leafs get destroyed, I would say five, one, four, one, I have to think that the, that the, that the front office gets cleared. It's just, just been a long time coming. And sometimes regardless of whether it's a good idea or not, sometimes you need a culture change. I don't think that that's the right idea, but I think that's what the market is going to ask for. And after having a bunch of disappointing years, you know, it's tough to refute. When we lost to Boston and all those series, I would go, okay, you know, Boston's Boston, but then came Columbus and then came Montreal. And now we're sitting here and we got to win. Something's going to happen. So I don't think that Dubas should go. I've, I've talked about this a lot. I think Dubas is one of the best GMs in the league, but inevitably if the Leafs get destroyed this series, I think, I think it's time that they make a quick change up in that front office. Yeah, if they get if they get crushed, like he'll, they'll be fired. Like if they lose in like five, like they're gonna get fired. But if they lose in seven and it's like a good series and you know whatever happens, I, I think the only other thing that could potentially make them look bad is like if if Minnesota goes on a huge run and Flurry's really good. Yeah, right. Good point. Because then it'll be like, well, why didn't you go get him? And I was in the camp of don't get Flurry. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't love I I love Giordano, so I'm extreme i wanted him before the deadline and then they got him and i was like awesome and it didn't even cost him that much and i think he's i think he's earned that and if they could get him to sign for like i said some sort of sweetheart deal i think that's going to go down as like one of his best trades yeah so but if flurry if flurry goes on a heater <laughs> and minnesota goes on a run which could both certainly happen i think and the leafs lose in the first round i think a lot of people are going to be upset yeah, that that flurry angle is actually a, a really interesting point. I never, I'd never actually thought of that. That'll make things a li- even even hotter in terms of temperature in this market if the Wild <laughs> do something. Um, we do want to be mindful of your time. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on and preview this series with us. This is a huge. We've been um, really excited over the past like week or so, um, kind of counting down the days. Um, before we fully wrap up, I do want to just give you a chance to let our listeners know where they can find your work on or, you know, plug your your work, plug your Twitter, your Instagram, where everyone can follow you. Yeah. And quickly, I, I don't know if I cut you off before, Angelo. Did you have another question? No, that's all that I wanted to hear. Uh, OK, OK. I want to make sure that I, I got everything. Uh, but but yeah, uh, Twitter, uh, A. Petrielli, I'll be covering the series pretty heavily at, at Maple Leaf Hot Stove. I'll be doing um more league-wide playoff coverage at yahoo so i'm excited i think it's going to be a good playoffs i i think the leafs are going to make this crazy entertaining the you know the 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 mountain to climb in front of them is daunting but i i always like to say half jokingly but half truthfully like without struggle like triumph is meaningless and i wouldn't want to see the leafs coast into one i want to see them like mow down all the top teams and and do it the right way so that opportunities it's there for the taking they just got to do it now yeah i'm gonna say it if the leafs get past this series i think they go all the way it's just i i think they need confidence that they can beat a big team when it matters the most if they do it i think we yeah. there's a small chance that we see that cut brought back to toronto this year and that would be crazy <laughs> I mean, the monkey off their back would be huge, right? Like win a series and then, and then go play potentially Florida kind of, you know, what we said, like Florida is a lot more one dimensional unless Bobrovsky kind of also goes on a heater. I mean, goalies are going, goalies going on a heater is always, 
the scary thing of any playoff. But beyond that, like I wouldn't be too worried about Florida and the Leafs' confidence and that going to their legs. And it would be wild if like Boston end around it as the wild card on the other side, and then they had to play Boston. Uh, that would be a hell of a path. I would, I would love that. I'd love <laughs> to see them beat Tampa and then have to go up against the, the Bruins. I would be, I've been, I've been asking for that um, a couple, couple of times. So I've been unsure if I wanted Boston the entire time. I, I've, I've really shaded to Tampa. And then in the past like two weeks, I was like, oh no, they're going to play Tampa. Yeah. So it, I shifted back on it. It just, I don't know. Boston has their number and it, there's something to be said for that. And I say this as a Leaf fan in the early 2000s that watched them just dummy the Sens year after year. They would lose in the regular season and fans would go nuts. And I would just shrug my shoulders so hard. Like, who cares? We know when playoff time comes. And every year it was the exact same thing. And Boston feels the same way about us. So yeah, they do. That's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, maybe it's best that it doesn't happen because I don't think we can handle as a collective another Boston defeat, but I don't know that dark part of me kind of wants wants them to wants them to do it. But with that being said, again, Anthony, thank you so much for taking a time out of your evening to come speak with us. It's really a huge honor to have you on, and I'm um, look forward to keeping in touch in the future. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks. We're just going to take a brief intermission to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, King of the Journey. Designed and manufactured locally here in Toronto, King of the Journey has a wide variety of high fashion streetwear and loungewear made for dreamers and achievers. To check out their everyday fits and all-time apparel, follow them on Instagram at kingofthejourney and visit them online at kingofthejourney.com. So now, let's move on to the other series involving an, an, an Atlantic team, and that's the Carolina Hurricanes versus the big bad Boston Bruins. This is a spicy series. This is spicy, but and I think we can all admit that it's going to be a close one. But I was looking, and the Hurricanes lead the season series three nothing. Wow! For the regular season, which is not what I was expecting when I started my research. But you know, despite that record, a lot of the conversation about the playoffs is that a lot of people don't have faith in the Canes. Why do you think that's the case? And, and do you agree? Do you have faith in the Canes? So. Do I have faith in the Canes? That comes down to two different aspects. The first aspect is their playoff performance. And, you know, in 2019, we got to give Carolina credit. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and they played, surprise, surprise, the big bad Boston Bruins. That's why this series is going to be so much fun. And correct me if I'm wrong, they got swept in that series. Yeah, I wasn't very close. I can't remember exactly, but I... Yeah, I don't remember being very close. Yeah, so when you ask me, do I have confidence in the Carolina Hurricanes, the answer to that question is yes, because they've shown that they can win playoff series. And, you know, they didn't just win a first-round matchup. They they won a second-round matchup to a pretty good team and then just got beat by a team that ended up taking St. Louis to seven games in that that 2019 finals. The second aspect of whether I have confidence in Carolina comes down to their goaltending. And Lee fans have a lot of experience with Freddie Anderson in the net. But. Yeah. But. Freddie Anderson is hurt. I checked earlier today on Rotowire, and Freddie Anderson is currently not skating. I think he might be ruled out for the first um, series. And that's tough. Even if he comes back game five or game six, Carolina has to play at least five to six games with Anti Ranta and net. When we look at Anti Ranta in the playoffs, he has a 3.59 goals against average and an 846 save percentage in five games. And, and Antti Ranta got hurt last week too and he came back and he's 
as much as you know, he's he's a band-aid he's a walking band-aid he gets hurt all the time he can't string games together that's really unfortunate because he's a really talented goalie but without freddie you're gonna have to ride a potentially guy who randy ranto can get injured at any moment and then you're left with the rookie piotr kochtikov i probably butchered the hell out of that <laughs> but that's why i'm doing my best here but you know he, he's a really highly touted prospect but it's a ton to ask him to step into the playoffs is it's gonna be like his fourth or fifth career game to come up against the Bruins and expect him to be a Bennington 2.0, right? That that's a big ask. He's got a 902 through three games, so he can he's okay. Maybe he gets hot. I think they have to hope for that if Ranta gets hurt, but I think goaltending is gonna be um, a real sticking point in this series. Yeah, and let's give Carolina goaltending credit. Correct me if I'm wrong. They just clinched the Jennings yeah, Trophy, the Jennings, which yeah. is the best goals against average yeah, combined for two for a goalie tandem. For yeah. two, and he has played a handful of games. He's played 28 games this season with a 9.12 save percentage and yeah. a goals against of 2.45. So he's held his own in the crease. And I know a lot of people can make the argument that this Boston team might be a shell of their former former self that played in that 2019 Eastern Conference Finals. But man. When I was doing research and I looked at this Boston team, there are some guys on this team having career years. You look at Patrice yeah. Bergeron, 25 goals, 40 assists, and statistically, like we mentioned on a few episodes ago, having quite possibly the best defensive season for a forward in like 10 years. He's been unreal. Unreal. You look at Brad, Marsh, Brad Marchand, 32 goals, 48 assists, and by the way, will get Selkie votes. He might get Selkie votes, mm-hmm. right? And then someone that is criminally underrated, and I hate to say this, is McAvoy. He is arguably having the best shutdown defenseman season in the NHL this year. I saw a crazy stat from Data Driven Hockey that he leads the league in expected goals against in five on five as a defenseman, which means he's giving up the least amount of goals. Yeah. Right. So when you look at this team, these guys play 25 minutes a night. If they can match up against Carolina's top line, I think Boston can win this series. That's a great point. And the Carolina secondary scoring isn't fantastic so if you shut down Aho and Svechnikov if they play together what do you you left with Trocek and Teravainen who are good players but not game breakers that'll be really really tough for them if they don't get that scoring if Bergeron shuts them down and and talking about defense and I want to quickly go back to goaltending for a second right so the Canes have been getting a lot of credit for how good they are defensively and they should be they're second in goals against but they're 15th in expected goals again. So just middle of the pack. And so when I read that, what this means to me is that their goalies have been saving a lot more goals than than they should be. They have a really high goal saved above expected. And with Freddie out, Freddie's been carrying that load. With Freddie out, that, that kind of adds on to that point. And when we look at the Bruins, the Bruins are fourth in goals against, but they're first in expected goals against. And just as you said, they're so solid defensively. And, I mean, it's it's going to be really difficult for, for Carolina without being able to rely on their goalies to, to find a way in this series. But I think it's going to be a good one. Yeah, and I mean, even if Freddie Anderson was available, I don't even know how much I would take those stats you just gave me. Um, with a grain of salt, Freddie Anderson has been that example in the Leafs' past about yeah. being that fantastic goal in the regular season can't really play well in the playoffs and then can't win a game seven if his life depended on him right for that you know when you bring me back to that original question do you believe in carolina the answer to this question is i i, I don't think i do i got boston in seven here yeah boston in seven i got boston in six boston in six okay so so far we can at at best or worst tie yeah um okay let's move on 
next is the the Panthers and the Caps. Hmm. And this is this is going to be an interesting one. What are your kind of initial thoughts on it? Yeah, so when I look at this series, I wanted to take a look at how Florida and Washington are moving and how they're trending, excuse me, um, towards the end of the season into the playoffs. The Florida Panthers are 8-2-0 and in their last 10 games moving into the playoffs. Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. And the Washington Capitals are surprisingly bad with a record of 5-3-2 and in their last 10 games, and they haven't played all that fantastic of teams down the stretch. What's the big problem with Florida before I elaborate? Everyone's been talking about how they don't trust Bobrovsky, so I think it's is that who you were alluding to? They can't trust Bobrovsky, and also they are the Leafs 2.0 where they cannot win in the playoffs in the Barkov era. Win 2016, yeah. they lost to the Islanders pretty convincingly. Two years ago, they lost to the massive underdog Islanders again when that Islanders team went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. And last year, they lost in six to Tampa. I mean, no matter how you put it, this team is like the Leafs. They're fantastic on paper. They have an underperforming goalie in the playoffs, and they just don't know how to get it done when it matters most. And my question is, is do you think that finally changes this year? I, I kind of think it does. I feel like it has to. They were so good in the regular season. And yes, we've seen teams win the President's Trophy or be so good and then lose in the first round. Um, but I do think that they're going to find a way here. And, and, and a lot of that, in my mind, has to do with the fact that I don't really trust the Caps either. Ever since they won that cup, they've been sort of... They've been passengers in the playoffs. They've been in the bubble. They were awful, and I don't think they've even made it past the first round. I may be mistaken. Maybe they made it past once, but they haven't been great since they won that cup in 2018. I think it was. So it's been three seasons since then. They haven't done damage. Um, I'm not too sure about the Caps anymore. Yeah, but you know what? Give Washington credit. Like you said, they have been passengers in the playoffs, but that core since 2018 hasn't changed much. They've just no. aged, like we've alluded to um, when we were speaking off camera quickly before this. With that being said, I think the main problem with Washington is their secondary scoring is really bad. I mean, they they really yeah. rely on Ovechkin from that top of the circle spot um, on the power play. And as such, they are much more vulnerable to going dry in the playoffs like the Leafs did last year. When Austin Matthews goes dry and there's no secondary scoring, you end up losing to Montreal because nobody can score. And I wonder if that same thing is going to happen to Washington in the playoffs. It could. It, it very well could because... That you're right. If, if you have, if you have a guy who can shut down like Barkov, and we talked about it a couple episodes when they acquired Giroux, people don't recognize, or maybe it's not spoken enough um, about enough that Giroux is a quality defensive forward. Him and Barkov playing together, if you match them up against, you know, Backstrom Ovi or Kuznetsov Ovi, again, you're going to be asking secondary scorers to carry the burden, and you know they haven't necessarily shown that they can do that in the past few years. True. All right. So. Prediction time. Who do you got, Washington or Florida? Like I alluded to this. I think the Panthers got this one. I think the Panthers actually take it in six. In six? Okay, yeah. cool. In my opinion, if Sergei Bobrovsky gives them average goaltending, I think they got it in five. But, yeah. you know, if I had to put money on it, I would also take Florida in six. All right. We're, we're uh, on the same page so far. Great minds think alike. Let's see if it changes with this last series in the Eastern Conference. The Rangers and the Penguins. Yeah, so this is one that I can't really wrap my head around, and I'd be very interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, so the Rangers lead this series 3-1. They seem to have had the Penguins number all year, and if you remember the last game that these guys played against each other, um, Shesterkin was waving bye-bye to Malkin and and the rest of his crew. That, That just puts a little bit of extra spice on this series. I'm excited to see how it plays out. But with that being said... 
know, I, I hated on the Rangers a little bit earlier in the year, and I, I'm still not fully convinced on them. I'll get to that later. Um, but I do think they take this series. And I, and I hate to say that because I hate betting against Sid, and Sid could easily go on one of his crazy streaks and prove me wrong. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be upset to be wrong in that case. Um, but I think the real issue for the Penguins is Jari being out week to week with his foot injury. It doesn't look like he's going to be able to play in this first-round matchup. And as you alluded to with Freddie Anderson, if he does come back, it's going to be for a couple of games, and he won't be 100%, which is unideal. And so what that means is that they're going to have to ride with Casey DeSmith. And Casey DeSmith has actually had a, a 9-14 save percentage this year, with, with, which is better than I thought it was going to be. But I think when you kind of think about it, or when you look at a little bit deeper in the stats, and this is one that really sort of moves the needle for me, that Tristan Jari ranks 11th in goals saved above expected per 60 among goalies that have played at least 20 games. DeSmith, in that same category, ranks 34th, and he has a negative goal saved above expected oh, per 60. So yes, that 914 save percentage does look good, but when you dig a little bit deeper, things start to get a little bit less convincing, let's say. And and so I'll take it one step further. We talked about how the Penguins are already at a disadvantage in goal because no Jari. Well, who's on the other end? Who's in the other crease? Uh-oh, big bad Igor. Big bad Igor. He is having one of the most dominant seasons we've seen of a goal out of a goalie. Is it fair to say in this millennium? Like For in sure. The 2000s? He's Without a doubt. Unbelievable. He leads the league in pretty much all of the main goaltending categories, save percentage, and goal save above expected included. Um, I think that he's the key to this, not only this series, but he's the key to any playoff run that they go on. So going back to what you said, is Tristan Jari for sure out for this entire series? So last I checked, when he got hurt, he was out week to week. I think he got hurt sometime last week. So he's. I, I would say I'm pretty confident saying he's probably going to miss at least half the series mm-hmm. at, at least in my mind and that's that's enough to make a difference yeah and i mean with that being said too moving into the postseason the pittsburgh penguins are five four and one and we start to wonder whether the juice in this core is running out and i mean to answer your question the answer might be yes this team has not looked good over the last 20 games they've been riddled with injuries riddled with suspensions Brian Rust is almost being put on that third line now, taken off the first line power play. Nothing is clicking for that team. But, you know, for the purposes of not only nostalgia, maybe I'm betting here a little bit with my heart, I do think this Penguins team turns it around. And I do think that the Penguins win this series in seven. Wow. Who are you taking? I think... I think the Rangers are gonna are gonna come away with this. I'm still not convinced by them. I think they're gonna take it in, in six, assuming Jari's out the whole series. If he somehow makes a comeback, that changes things. But I think under the assumption that Jari's out, I've got the Rangers in six here. Okay, so this is where our little game is gonna maybe take a little yeah. bit of a tie break here. Absolutely. All right, let's swing it over to the West. We got some really cool matchups coming up here that I am very excited to talk about. Okay. Let's start with the Edmonton Oilers, and the Los Angeles Kings. The Oilers led the season series 3-1. What are your thoughts here? So when I look at the Edmonton Oilers, I think of a team that is always so close with very high expectations and is always lackluster and underwhelming. But I will admit, in the Jay Woodcroft era, the Edmonton Oilers have been a completely 
different animal than I have ever seen them in my entire life. The Edmonton Oilers are 14-4-2 in their last 20 games, and McDavid looks like he is having what seems like pretty unbelievably another career year. He's set to win his fourth Art Ross in seven years, which is just, it's absolutely unbelievable. Him and McDavid, sorry, him and Dreitseidel are in tune at the perfect time. Like yeah. you said, Edmonton has a 3-1 and series win, will be at home. I have a tough time not taking the Oilers here. What do you think? Yeah, I I, I agree with you. Um, but let me, let me get your thoughts on this. So I think we can both agree that the Leafs have maybe the most pressure in the league to win around. Do you think Edmonton's second? Oh, without a doubt, for yeah. sure. Edmonton has what's, um, without a doubt, the best player of our generation. And I know that's really tough for Sidney Crosby fans, but I'm sorry. Connor McDavid, I think, will end up being a better player than Sidney Crosby will be by the end of his Ooh. career. And if the Edmonton Oilers do not get at least one cup out of his tenure... That's a failure. It is way more than a failure. It is yeah. an astronomical failure. Um, There is a huge amount of pressure on them. The, okay, so here's the problem I have with the Los Angeles Kings. It's the same as the Washington Capitals where they have no scoring depth. Adrian Kempe has 35 goals hmm. on this year. But I've had him in fantasy. He's gone stretches of five or more games without yeah. a single point. If this happens here, this team is done. They run through Adrian Kempe. And I can really see this offense running dry. And Edmonton, Edmonton's McDavid and Leon Dreitzeidel just, you know, taking this series over. Yeah. And to top that off for the Kings, no doubt he. True. That hurts a ton. They have... A very young decor. I mean, some of these defensemen are really good. Sean Dersey, we've heard a lot about you. He's you've been on sort of hot on him for a while, um, but they have a very it's a very young decor. Ed, Alec Edler's there, who's definitely not the player he was when he was in his prime in Vancouver. I don't know who the heck is going to match up against McDavid and Drysdale. They're on separate lines now, so I don't know who how they're going to match up. I think they they have it tough, but I do want to give Kings fans a little bit of hope here. Um, I think if the Kings have any chance of winning the series, Phil Deneau needs to put a clamp on Connor McDavid, and he's proved that he can. Last year, he did it. Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews had, I think, one or two goals combined last series through seven games, and when they shut that big line down, the um, Canadians found a way to limit the other the other players on their team, and they, and they got a series win. Now, I don't think that's going to necessarily happen in this case, but if they are going to win this series, it's going to run through Deneau, shutting down McDavid, and then hoping that they can maybe limit Dreisaitl and find some goals somewhere. Yeah, very, very true. Going back to what you said about the no Drew Doughty, that is a huge hole for this team. Yeah. And you know what? Even if Drew Doughty was healthy, I don't think this Kings decor has what it takes to contain Leon Dreisaitl and, um, and um, McDavid, excuse yeah. me. Like Anthony alluded to earlier on in this episode with that awesome interview, you know, you have to wonder whether Austin and and Mitch end up going nuclear one series. I think we can say the same thing about Connor McDavid and Leon Dreitsidel. Oh, yeah. There has to be a series where these two players look each other in the eye and go, we are two of the top five players in this league. It is time to take this series over. And I think that it happens here. And hot take, I think, I think Edmonton sweeps this series. Sweep? Yeah, sweep. Whoa. Yep. That's a big call. You're thinking the Kings win a game? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. But before I give my prediction, I, I want to. I have to. You know, when I'm wrong, I gotta come forward and 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 admit it. Okay. Mike Smith, like, what the heck is going on with this guy? 
in April. He's a 951 save percentage. 951? 951. Wow. I was bashing the heck out of him. Maybe in one of our earlier episodes, calling him an old man with one leg. Okay, you didn't call him an old man. You called him 55 million year old Mike Smith. I, I did. <laughs> I did. I did. And if he keeps this up, there's no way Edmonton loses this series. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Oilers in five. That is a little bit more conservative. I don't know. I just want to give a hot take here. I honestly think Connor McDavid says enough is enough to the media and takes it in four. I would not be shocked at all if that happened. Absolutely not. They're going to they're gonna go rogue one, one series, like you said. We're going to move on to what I think will be the most entertaining first-round series, the Wild versus the Blues. This series is going to be insane. Insane. Now, what's actually kind of interesting is the Blues lead the season series 3 nothing. Wow. That's not what I expected, and it's going to kind of put my prediction. It's going to seem a little counterintuitive. But before we get to predictions, let's sort of break this down a little bit. What are your kind of – how are you feeling with this series? Yeah, so when I look at these two teams, I see two teams that struggled earlier on in the year and after the after the trade deadline have turned into two of the two of the best teams mm-hmm. in the league. The Wild have the second best record in the league over the last twenty games at fifteen, two and three, and the Blues are right behind them at third best in the league at fifteen, three and two. Wow. Both have insane goaltending as of late. Both have firepower offenses. We just saw a crazy stat with Ryan O'Reilly becoming the ninth player on the St. Louis Blues to record 20 goals in a single season. If that doesn't speak scoring depth, I don't know what does. And when we look at the Minnesota Wild, the scoring depth is there as well. Kaprizov, Zuccarello, Boldy, Mm -hmm. Fiala, Erickson Eck. I can go on and on and on. The point that I'm trying to make here is that when we combine the fact that both of these teams have average at best defending, these teams are almost exactly the same. They're so similar. Yeah. So when I look at it, the only two tiebreakers I have are, like you said, the season series, which for some reason St. Louis has dominated yeah. them in. And number two, I look at recent playoff success. The Blues, okay. the Blues won the Cup in 2019. They're, they've shown that they can be battle-tested. That's the true. Wild haven't won anything, unfortunately. And I think yeah. in 2018, 2020, and 2021, if I'm not mistaken, they all lost in the third round. <sighs> Because of that tiebreaker, I think I have the Blues winning this series, but I'd like to hear your analysis. Yeah, I, I think like like you said, on forward on defense, there's really nothing to separate these teams. So that le- for me, that leaves goaltending. Okay. Right? And Fleury has proven that he can do it. He's won three cups. Mind you, didn't play the major role in all three, but still won them. And Talbot has been unbelievable these past couple of months since they actually got... Flurry rate. So since the trade deadline, Talbot is rocking a 9.25 save percentage. That's not a bad backup option, right? And then on the other side, so the Wild have the opportunity to have Flurry and Talbot. If one of them is not rolling, you can have faith that the other guy is going to be able to step in and, and, and do something. On the other hand, we have Huso. Huso's the I think he's the guy going in without a this doubt. series. He's unpro- he's unproven. He's a rookie this year, right? Or he's a sophomore. He's relatively unex- inexperienced. And Bennington just kind of sucks now. <laughs> like he kind of does, right? So in this same time period that I just mentioned, since the trade deadline, Huso has a 9.12, which is average. Bennington has an 8.94. He's just not good anymore, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, that that is for me what tips this series in the favor of the Wild, in my opinion. But... One other area that I think does heavily favor the Blues is special teams. Wow. So 
the Blues have the highest combined power play percentage and penalty kill percentage in the league. So they have essentially the best special teams, let's call it, right? Their power play is second in the league. Their penalty kill is fifth. The Wild, on the other hand, they're 21, 21st in, in combined power play and penalty kill percentage, which is no good, especially when you're playing a team with the best. So I think if the Wild are going to take the series, it's going to be on the back of some stellar goaltending. And if the Blues are going to take this series, for me, it's going to come on the back of their solid, solid special teams. Um, so you alluded to the Blues. How many games do you think? Seven. Seven. I think the Blues take game seven in Minnesota to move on to the second round. I, I've been high on the, the Wild all season, if you've been listening. And this is not the time to vote against them. So I got the Wild in seven, but this is going to be a slugfest. I think this is, without a doubt, going to be the funnest series in the first round just because these are two firepower teams that do not deserve to play each other in the first round. No, not at all. They don't. And the NHL is going to lose out because both of these teams deserve to make it to the second round. But, you know, playoff seeding is a story for another day. We'll talk Um, about that at some point. Yeah, let's move on. So with that, I think we're we're done with our playoff preview. Hope you guys enjoyed. We tried to go in-depth, tried to, you know, preview them as best as we could but we're going to kind of take a little bit of a different turn here we want to talk about a story that kind of means a lot to us and i'm um, really kind of excited to talk about and, and that's carrie price coming back to the crease and it hasn't been maybe the most successful in terms of statistics and wins but that's not really what this story is about at all no um, we're just really happy on a personal level for him and for me personally carrie price is my favorite player growing up he's someone that i idolized and so i'm really happy to see him back but Ange, i want you to kind of take this a little bit further and discuss really what it means to to yourself and and to us as well. Yeah, well, first and foremost, like you said, the NHL, from an objective standpoint, has quite possibly a top five goalie ever to play back in action, which I think is is great for for the NHL. But like you said, that is not even the fifth best thing to come from this story. I am very, very, very proud of Carey Price being one of the most Um, notorious players in the NHL having the courage to take strides to advocate for mental health in a league that has notoriously put mental health on the back burner. A lot of the times NHL players are expected to, you know, just go out there, put their mental health aside, play hockey, and they're just expected to be, they're they're expected essentially to go around and act like their life is fantastic because they play hockey for a living. And at the end of the day, NHL players are humans too. Absolutely. We've seen NHL players open up in the past um, with, with some difficulty about the challenges of playing on the road, being away from family, dealing with the pressure, dealing with being cut and having to bounce back from the AHL to the NHL, and also dealing with certain types of addictions. Yeah. And this is where the Carey Price story um, tends has led to. And I am just so, so proud of him for being a mental health advocate in this league. What do you Absolutely. think? Absolutely, yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Really, you know, happy, especially in a market like Montreal. It takes a lot of courage to do that, and you alluded to it. Hockey has that sort of—it's a little bit of toxic masculinity. Like, just suck it up and, and move on. Don't show any signs of weakness. But I think it's time that pro sports is—and we've seen it in other sports—but it's really happy to see that hockey sort of, you know, tends to, seems to be moving in that direction. Um, and I hope that he wins the Masterton Award because he was nominated for that. From his team i hope he ends up getting nominated for a league wide and and wins it because i think that not only would that be a great story for him personally but it would again shine another light on um, mental health and the importance of being open about it and seeking treatment when you need it 
Yeah. So, so for anybody who doesn't know, um, by now, Carey Price entered a treatment facility for substance abuse. And he opened up and talked about how over the last few years, he had let himself get to a, a very dark place, which he said in quotes. And he talked about how he didn't have the tools to struggle, um, to cope with his struggle. Um, I'm sure so many NHL players across the league are dealing with um, addiction, with mental health difficulty. And I'm just so happy to hear that now with Carey Price speaking up, this might incentivize other players to really advocate for their own mental health. It might create a new culture in the NHL, which is something that has been a long time coming, yep. especially in my past playing hockey. There's always that saying, you know, just toughen up and go out there and play. And I'm sorry if you put your mental health on the back burner for a long enough time, eventually things start to spill over yep. and eventually your life starts to spiral. And I am, I'm, I'm very, you know, again, very thankful for Carey Price opening up and, and becoming a leader in, in mental health space. Yeah, well said. Um, we're going to actually keep it a little bit Canadians focused with Carey Price. Um, it's, we're going to unfortunately kind of keep it on a little bit of a sad note. Um, to celebrate, it's it's a celebration of the life of Guy Lafleur and and also Mike Bossy. We missed an episode last week, so we weren't able to um, you know, pay our respects to Mike Bossy, and and now we're gonna do the same um, for Guy Lafleur. And I know I alluded to this being a bit of a celebration of kind of their lives and of their career and how they changed the game. Um, so I'm gonna kind of just go over some of their accolades and what they meant to the game. Um, Guy Lafleur is a legend of the truest sense in Montreal Canadiens. He has a 1,352 points in his 1,126 games. He is the franchise leader in points in Montreal Canadiens, the most decorated historic franchise in the league. This is their leading point getter. He had six straight 50-goal seasons between 74-75 and 79-80, and he won five cups, one Conn Smythe, three Art Rosses, and two Hart Trophies. Wow. That is an incredible resume, and... You know, from the stories that we've heard, the people that we've seen speaking over the past couple of days, not only was he a great player, but he seemed like a great person who kind of was really important for the progression of hockey in the 70s and was really sort of that superstar, that rock star who's, who appeared to transcend the game. Yeah, um, I think that was very well said. Moving on to Mike Bossy as well, you know, when we look back on his career as an NHL hockey player, you know, there's all this talk about being about Ovechkin and Gretzky being the best two goal scorers of all time and you know, whether you agree with that or not because of longevity matters, when you look at the highest goal per game average for all players in the NHL with a minimum of 200 goals played, Ovechkin and Gretzky are 7th and 8th all time with 0.61 and 0.6 goals per game. Do you know who's in 1st and 2nd? I have a feeling Mike Bossy is going to make an appearance at the top of that list. Mike I'm not sure who's second, actually. Mike Bossy is in first at 0.76 goals per game, followed by Mario Lemieux at 0.75 goals per game. Wow. Which is leaps and bounds better than the two that the hockey world almost ubiquitously calls the two best goal scorers of all time. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty impressive um, year, uh, career. He had nine straight 50-goal seasons and four cups. I mean, if you're going to have a short career, that's a that's a short career you want to have with those, with those numbers. Um, but... I think we want to sort of build off of this conversation, have a little, maybe a little more lighthearted, lighthearted or fun conversation. So we kind of talked about Ovi. I think, I think it's fair to say Ovi's the best goal scorer of this generation. Mm-hmm. So we kind of talked about who are some of the other best goal scorers of this generation be, besides Ovi. And can we put Matthews and Dreisaitl sort of there as sort of maybe a one-two where they're there. Maybe that's not as up for discussion, but we want to just talk about maybe another guy who should, who maybe has forgotten about, let's say. Sure. Let's. Uh, I'm interested to hear your take first, and then I'll go after you. Okay. 
So, but beyond Leon and Matthews, Steven Stamkos, man. Steven Stamkos. He is so good. He got 100 points this season, somehow quietly. I think he won, a, I think he had like 27 points in April or something to get there, which is incredible. But let me just start ripping off a couple of these stats that I have lined up. And it was sort of a, a stark reminder for me when I was reading just how good this guy is. So he scored 30 plus goals seven times. And since 2010, he has the second most goal scored at 398 behind only Ovi. He has the fourth best goals per 60 behind Ovi, Matthews, and Kirill Kaprizov, actually. And he's ninth in even strength goals per 60. Um, but there's guys like Boldy, Jason Robertson, Varana, Ross Colton, funnily enough, is ahead of him. And that's just, they don't have anywhere near the sample size. And take those guys out of it. He is fifth behind those same three, Ovi, Matthews, Kaprizov, and McDavid. So this guy has been consistently doing it for over 10 to 15 years. He's just been so good, so solid. He can score in a variety of ways. He's renowned for that slap shot on the power play, but he is just so, so, so good. And hopefully he doesn't do this against the Leafs, but next year you can keep scoring, Steven. It really breaks my heart that injuries took away the prime of that man's career. Yeah, He could have quite possibly been a top five goal scorer of all time. Yeah, I, I don't think that's too far-fetched because he, he got some pretty like big chunks of time taken away. Yeah, well, look at the stats that you're given, and this is over a large enough sample size that we yeah. can say he is a fantastic goal scorer. When I was doing my research, I thought the best goal scorers of our generation who aren't Ovechkin, um, Matthews, and Leon, the only correct answer was Steven Stamkos, and that's the yeah. answer that you gave. But, you know, for the purpose of discourse, I'm going to give the guy that I think is second to Steven okay, Stamkos. See. Um, can you take a guess? Well... The first guy that came to mind was was David Pasternak, but I don't know if that's who you have. I don't have David okay. Pasternak, but that's that's a very good guess. I didn't consider him. My answer is Patrick Kane. Ooh, Patrick Patty. Kane has yes. 429 goals in 1,101 games played, putting him at a career goals per game of .38. What's really crazy is that over the last 10 years, the most goals in the league have been Ovechkin at 441, John Tavares at 306, and then Patrick Kane at 303. They've all played a very similar number of games, like within 15 or 20 games of each other. I didn't say John Tavares because we did talk about goal scorers here, and I think John Tavares is more of a playmaker, all-around type of player. Yeah, that's fair. So when I look at the best goal scorer of our generation, man, Patrick Kane has to be up there. Five 30-plus goal seasons, two 40-plus goal seasons in the prime of his career was thought to be quite possibly the best goal scorer in the league next to Alex Ovechkin. Oh, yeah. This guy deserves a lot of respect. Yeah, and, and I think he was still above a point a game this year on a pretty, pretty bad Chicago Blackhawks team. It's going to be, on a side note, really interesting to see if he gets traded this offseason or if he doesn't sign with them. Who's forking up the cash to get him? Because he's, he's still very valuable, even at this age. Yeah, that, I'm going to be interested to see what Chicago does on this offseason, offloading contracts. Yeah. Before we move on, I know you talked about Austin and Dreitzel being left off this list because we wanted to talk about guys over an entire generation. Yeah. Can we move back and talk a little bit about what Austin has done over these last six True. years? You get to 60 since we last had an episode. You know, I didn't put Austin on this list because he's somewhat new to the league and I didn't want people saying that we fanboy him. But like, listen to these stats. Yeah. In 404 games played. He has 257 goals. That's a goals per game of 0.64. That is better. That is better than Ovechkin and Gretzky over their career. Now, 
I understand these are not the same because Austin has only done this for six years and those guys did it for 15 plus. Yes. But right now, like take into context how crazy it is that Austin Matthews on a goal per game basis is scoring at a higher pace than Ovechkin and Gretzky. And it's not like he's doing this over two seasons. It's been six. six. It's been six. Over the last 10 years, Alex Ovechkin has played 719 games and scored 441 goals. I did the math, and if you take Austin's 404 games and project them over the same 719, this pace, put, this pace puts Austin Matthews at 16 more goals than Ovechkin by the end of that time. Wow. Like I said, it's been over six seasons. The sample size is there. If oh, yeah. Austin Matthews keeps doing what he's doing, he will, without a doubt, be the best goal scorer of his generation, and he might be better than Ovechkin. The reason why yeah. that is such a tough thing to say is because the best part of Ovechkin's game is his longevity. His longevity, yeah. Right? I don't know. What are your thoughts to that? Hey, I mean, I, I, I have a tough time disagreeing. Well, I can't disagree with the numbers because they're numbers, but but those, you know, what you said about him potentially being just as good if not better than Ovi I don't think that's that far-fetched the numbers back it up we've seen him actually develop the way he scores he's been getting better and better he didn't have a lucky rookie season he had a good rookie season that he's just built upon and become even better he scores in a variety of ways he got 60 this year and I think 75 games or something like that he if he keeps this up I, I there's no question for me he he ends up as one of the greatest goal scorers of, of this generation but can we can we say like all time potentially that that that's far fetched but who knows I think we can on a goals per game basis he's yeah. literally up there with Mike Bossy and with Mario Lemieux and once again it's six seasons it's not fifteen so I'm not gonna sit here and say that he's even close to those guys no. but if he keeps doing what he's doing for the next ten years the stats are the stats right yeah let's say one last thing before we hop off this goal scoring soapbox I want to end this debate right here and it's a debate that oh I used to I used to be in favor of with respect to Leon Dreitzeidel. For anybody saying that Leon Dreitzeidel is a better goal scorer than Austin Matthews over the last 10 years, Leon Dreitzeidel has played 150 more games than Austin Matthews and has scored four less overall goals. It's not even close. No. Combine that with Dreitzeidel, Dreitzeidel taking his skates off in the defensive zone like and, and Austin Matthews getting Selkie votes this year, give me a break. If you say yeah. Austin Matthews is greater than Leon Dreitzeidel this year, you just don't understand hockey. He's got more overall goals, more five-on-five five goals, better defender. It's not even close. I think you just misspoke. You said if you don't think Matthews is greater than Dreisaitl, if you think Matthews is greater than Dreisaitl, you're crazy. I wanted to correct you before guys come for our heads because if you think to happen on TikTok. There's some hurt feelings there. <laughs> if you think Leon Dreisaitl is greater than Austin Matthews, you're crazy. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And that's not even a slight at Leon Dreisaitl. He's still one of the best five players in the league. We just... We're just kind of calling it as it is here. Austin Matthews is the best goal scorer in the league. Are there things that Dreisaitl is better than him? Yeah, probably. But when it comes to this and it comes to two-way play, there's no question. The only reason Austin Matthews isn't seen as the best goal scorer in the league by everybody on the planet is because he wears the Maple Leaf. That's just the answer. Yeah. Right? And pe true. people true. are going to hate. Let them hate. It's not even close. Yeah. So with that, are we good to progress into our listener Q&A? We had some really good questions this week. I'm excited. Okay, so the first question is actually something that I've been thinking about sort of on my own. And so I'm really happy that they asked this question. Is it, it's should the league adopt the 3-2-1 point system? And for anyone who's maybe unfamiliar with that, that would mean that it's three points for a regulation win, two points for an OT or a shootout win, one point for an OT or a shootout loss, and zero points for regulation loss. When I say that, when I float this idea, what are your thoughts immediately? 
Yeah, I think first and foremost, there is some merit to it for a couple of reasons. I'll give my first reason first, and then I'll move it over to you, and then we'll talk about the second reason after. First and foremost, there just isn't enough to separate um, good teams that win in regulation consistently, right? Think about it this way. If a team loses 10 straight games in overtime, they will get the same number of points, and correct me if I'm wrong, as a team that goes 5-5-0 and over a 10-game yeah, stretch, right. Right. right? That just shouldn't be true. No. A team that wins in regulation should be given um, higher respect and higher points with respect to the league um, because winning in regulation says something about a team, Absolutely. right? And I think the current system doesn't do that well enough, and I think moving to a 3-2-1 point system accomplishes that goal. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I, I agree with 100%. And another problem I have with the current system is that this just makes more sense mathematically. There's three points up for grabs every game, mm-hmm. right? Instead of it being two or three, depending on if it goes to overtime, the fact that there's like an extra point to be gained when it goes to overtime now, it doesn't make sense. And that's probably why the standings are closer than they should be. That's probably why guys like Gary Bettman like that. So it gives the illusion of parity even more. Right, but I think it just makes sense. If you have three points up for grabs every game, the winner's either gonna get three if they win regulation, they're gonna get two if they win in overtime, and if they go to overtime, the loser's still gonna get a point. Right? I just think it makes way more sense. It makes regulation wins more valuable, like you said, and it might even make the end of games even more better because instead of it being like a one point swing, it can be as much as a three point swing now. So I think it'll make the game more exciting. It'll make the standings a more true representation of the skill of the teams. I think it's something to do. I think I know, I know the the league, the scoring system or the point system is already confusing for some people now. Maybe this makes it more confusing. I, I tend to disagree with that, but I'm in favor of this change. Yeah. So one thing that you said that that sparked my second point, and I completely agree with you, is that it's going to make the games at the end way more interesting. If yeah. you're the NHL, you want games that go down to the wire to be very exciting during those last two or three minutes. So you need to push teams. You need to incentivize teams to yeah. want to win in regulation. This is something that I didn't realize at first. And I give credit to a CBS article that that talked about this. And I'm going to talk about a couple points that they mentioned. If you think about it, at the end of the game, if two teams are tied, let's mm-hmm. call it 2-2, neither team is actually incentivized to try to win in regulation. No. They are both incentivized to try to get this game to overtime. And the reason is because the upside to winning in overtime is the same. You would get two points. And now in overtime, at worst, at Maybe. worst, you still get a point. A point. There is nothing stopping teams from trying to win in regulation. And what that means is that in those last two or three minutes, both teams are playing with a relatively lackluster forecheck because they want to secure that one point. And instead of seeing those last two minutes being full of offensive firepower, you're seeing two teams sit back and try Absolutely. to go to the overtime. Now, with a 3-2-1 point systems, teams are actually incentivized to win because if they win in regulation, they get that three points, whereas going to overtime means at best you only get two. And I mean, towards the end of the season, yes. as we're seeing now with Dallas and Nashville, those points really matter for wildcard seating. Especially for those in-division games. Instead of it being 2-1, now it's 3 nothing. That That's a huge swing. Right, yeah. I always, I always remember as a kid looking back at games that were tied going into the end um, of regulation and going, why aren't either teams pushing for the win? And I never really realized how it doesn't make sense for either of them to do no. it. Why? Push it to overtime, get one point at least, and if you're lucky, you get the same two points you would have got if you pushed in yeah. at the end of regulation. And now you don't leave yourself vulnerable to a two-on-one attack and losing in regulation, right? I think this would do a lot of good for the game. I think it would make divisional matchups a lot better. And it's something that I would really like to see implemented. Yeah.
me too me too so on to the next question now um this is a, another really really good question and our this listener asked on tiktok he said is sorokin of dark horse for the vesna trophy and this was a it's a good question because you know what when you think of who wins the vesna it usually goes to a goalie who is who is one standing on their head and playing extremely well but also on a good team and the islanders just haven't been good as a team this year so sorokin might not be a guy that you think of but there is actually quite a strong case for him to be nominated for the Vesna. Do you kind of do you agree with that? I think there is a strong case, but I think the answer is ultimately no. But I want to hear your side first because okay. if your answer is yes, there is merit to that argument. I th- I think there is a case for him to, to get it. There are also, with due respect, been a lot of incredible goalies this year who do play for good teams, so he might miss out on the votes. But that doesn't mean he shouldn't get votes. Okay. Right. So let me just start ripping off a couple of stats here. He has the second best save percentage in the league this season at a 927, which is unbelievable. He has the second best goals saved above average at 0.64. And what that means is that this is the difference between a goalie's goals against and the goals against with the same shots against and an average save percentage. So if, a, if there was a guy in net with an average save percentage compared to him, he saves um, 0.64 goals above that average. So he's about half a goal better than these goalies, which is, which is pretty impressive. He's also the second best in high danger save percentage at 865 but the sad part is that Shesterkin leads in all of these categories that I just mentioned um, so he's definitely the lock for Vezina but I think these sort of um, stats that he's way better than average that he is saving goals um, in the high danger category which is the most important and that he has just a second best save percentage overall put him in a pretty strong um, standing at least individually to receive votes and potentially be nominated. I mean, those are all very good yeah. points. I mean, if all there's not much for me to elaborate on here. I mean, from all non-advanced statistical perspectives, Igor Shesterkin leads leads Sorokin in goals against average save percentage, um, and he did it in more games. And that's not to take anything away from Sorokin. No. Igor Shesterkin, like you said, is quite possibly having one of the best seasons as a goalie in the last 20 years. And that's crazy to consider that he's doing that in the Andre Vasilevsky era. That's right. Right. That's the right. One thing that I will say is that it is so hard to compare players across positions. Like you said, it's hard to compare a guy like Sorokin in the net to Austin Matthews, who scores a bunch of goals. But one way that we can do it, that an article I was reading online talked about is using GSVA. It's Dom Lachizden's stat. Yes. Right. Basically what this is, is so it's essentially a war stat. It talks about how many incremental wins a player adds to their team so if um, if a player's gsva was five that means if you take that player out of the lineup the team's theoretically going to win five less games right when looking at sorokin's gsva it's 3.7 and what's crazy about that is it's a full point above anyone else on that team that means sorokin's play is worth at least one win more than anybody else on that team he is clearly the most valuable player to his team this season. Yeah. And I think that's why Sorokin can make a case for the heart because the heart, like we have said a million times, isn't the best player in the league. It's the most valuable player to their team, team. Right. And when you look at it from the perspective of this player is more valuable to his team than anyone else on his team, it shouldn't matter that he's not the best player in the league. When we look at Austin Matthews's GSVA, compared to the next best player, which is Mitch Marner, it's only 0.8. What that means is that Sorokin actually contributes more wins to his team than Austin Matthews does, right? And for anyone who says, 
oh, does that mean you're saying Sorokin's better than Austin Matthews? No, it just means that he might be more valuable to his team than Austin Matthews might be. And that has a lot to do with the Islanders not being good. But it, that, but team performance really shouldn't play a role here. It's, is this guy really important to his team? Absolutely, he is, and the numbers back that up. Exactly. So from an absolute value perspective, what he's doing with respect to save percentage and goals against average now compared to his relative performance to other players on his team, does he deserve to get heart votes? Without a doubt. Will he does he deserve to win the heart? The answer is no, because when you look at Igor Shesterkin's GSVA, this is going to blow your mind. It is at 7.4, and it's four full points higher than the next best player on the New yeah, York Rangers. That's a, that's a Vesna and a heart candidate right there. You took the words right out of my mouth. Igor Shesterkin for Vesna, Igor Shesterkin quite possibly for heart, and that's coming from an Austin Matthews fan. Yeah, yeah, that's a, an interesting discussion. I think Sorokin deserves a lot more respect around the league. Maybe next year, if the Islanders have a bounce back year, he'll get his due respect. But thank you again for that question. Really interesting. Yeah, and to the, think about. the last thing I'll say, too, is the fact that um, Sorokin has been putting up these crazy goals against averages and save percentages with a terrible team in front of him. Yeah, terrible. Whereas, like, Shesterkin's doing it with a fantastic team in front of him. Speaks a lot about this kid. He is going to be the starter in New York probably for the rest of his career. For a while. They, oh, have, yeah. a, they have a great, a bright future ahead of them. Absolutely. So I think that wraps up not only our listener Q&A, but I think that kind of brings an end to our episode. We've had a, a bit of a long one, but understandably so. We missed last week. It's a big week coming up. First round is starting. We're really, really excited. Um, just before we wrap up, my last word, just want to say thanks again to Anthony Petrelli for joining us. It means a lot. It's a big step for us. Um, hopefully we'll have him back on in the future. And any last words before we wrap up? I don't know about last words, but I have uh, I have this to give. Do you know who those claps are awarded to? So many people, but I'm going to say Austin. No, to the Montreal Canadiens. Congratulations oh, on finishing again, 30 seconds. Congrats. We'll congrats. see you guys next week. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review Podcast. We'll see you all next week.